diving Hope comes and stops us in our tracks Bravely we prove in our striving Trudging together each day everyone and welcome to raw recovery a trudging together podcast my name is dion miller and i will be your host today our other host gary um uh did 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 some digging and uh, we've been we've been looking for for a doctor that would be a good fit for us and we believe that we have found uh that person in dr jenkins welcome to uh raw recovery uh doctor Hello, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Now, do you want me to call you Doc, Doctor, Miss <laughs> Jenkins? I'm sorry, but you're in a you're in a uh, a respect area, so I like to respect that. Or should I just call you Melissa? I appreciate that. You can call me whatever you feel comfortable with. Melissa is fine. Fantastic. Okay. Um. So we have had uh, Melissa and I uh, have had a, a little bit of chatting. And uh, we had some technical difficulties before, before this, and you know, we, we got through it nice and calm. Everybody was was real nice about it, so I appreciate that. Um, but what I'd like to do is I'd like to let our listeners know a little about about who who we have on, and why it's so exciting um, to be able to get this information. Um, you know, we find it the more that we know about ourselves, whether that be emotional or spiritual, or physical, the more aware we are about ourselves, the more that we can work with things, the better that we can get, right? So um, let's, I'm going to, this is going to be a little long, but that is because um, Melissa has done a lot of stuff, and I think she deserves the credit for it. So I'm going to go ahead and get started with that. Melissa Jenkins, PhD, is a licensed psychologist. She's originally from Wichita, Kansas, and completed her Bachelor's of Science of Psychology from the University of Kansas in 2006. She obtained her, she obtained her doctorate of philosophy in clinical psychology from Wichita State University in 2011. Dr. Jenkins has broad experience in assessment, which includes DFS evaluations, DVR and waiver evaluations, disability evaluations, full diagnostic and bariatric and pain evaluations. She has worked with religious and diagnostically diverse populations in Kansas, Utah, and Wyoming. Dr. Jenkins encompasses components of dialectual behavior therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy into her cognitive and behavioral intervention strategies. She utilizes a well-rounded set of tools and intervention to make sure that each person's treatment is individualized. The course, this corresponds with Dr. Jenkins' strong passion for holistic individual care and empathetic understanding of the whole person. While Dr. Jenkins practices as a general psychologist, she is specifically interested in psychology assessment and evaluation mood and anxiety disorders and woman's needs i'm sorry and woman's needs spanning across lifespan and development stages that is a fantastic repertoire fantastic so at this point what i'd like to do is 
turn the show over to Melissa. There was one thing that I saw on there that I thought would be a great place to start. And that was meeting people where they were at. I caught that in there. And that is something that we do a lot here. Um, whether that's where she's going to start or not, but that was just something that kind of piqued my interest. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and give the show on over to uh, Melissa now. And Melissa, the show is yours. Thanks. Yeah. Um, sorry about all that reading that you had to do up front. There. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. Yeah. So in addition to, I suppose, what you just read, um, I have developed several subspecialties, you know, including um, within the women's studies window, um, mm -hmm. helping women with uh, prenatal, postnatal, um, you know, decision-making growth, um, wow. emotional balance, and then also um, eating disorders, emotional eating, okay. um, and disorderly eating generally. So um, the thing, the thing that I think has, has caused me to create a subspecialty with with disordered eating is because when I do meet people where they are in therapy sessions or in coaching sessions, um, often what I'm finding is that food or some types of substance, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's involved in the struggle yep. because life is hard and people are trying to cope with life and they utilize the things that they just have around them. Okay. Um, I really encourage people not to beat themselves up for just using what they have around them to cope, <laughs> yeah, sure. um, right? But it does become quite a problem. Yeah. Um, with regard to the topic today, um, emotional eating and um, kind of what that is and what we might, we might want to do about it, um, I've kind of co collected some information that I thought would be helpful to the audience okay. along those lines. Um, I think to start, it's important to understand that not all disorderly eating patterns are addictions. Okay. Uh, that, um, you know, addictions, every, every thought we have, um, every behavior we have, and every feeling we have does correspond with a neurochemical response in the brain. Okay. Um, and so sometimes those neurochemical responses can become addictive okay. with regard to food. Mm -hmm. that, you know, dopamine, you know, it's a very happy, exciting neurochemical. And um, when we utilize something, substances or food, sugar, processed food, mm -hmm. that can really pinpoint that dopamine receptor. And over time, um, there can be a tolerance that builds up because of those certain elements and people can actually feel like they need it or they might withdraw from it. Not all foods seem to have that effect okay. and not all reasons for eating seem to be dopamine related or okay. addictive. Um, so one of the other things wow. to think about is um, variations in serotonin, which is okay. a, a neurochemical. This neurochemical is related to, um, you know, contentment, peace, security, um, and then the stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline. Yep. Um, when we have high stress and we have those elevated stress hormones, we might choose to utilize a food or to, to choose a behavior that reduces those stress hormones. So that's not necessarily directly impacting dopamine like an addiction would. That's sure. kind of trying to reduce or balance alternative neuropathways. Yeah. If that yeah, 
and that does make sense. Um, um, I'm the, I don't eat. I'm I'm kind of the opposite, but I love to chew ice. Uh-huh. For some reason, it brings down my anxiety, and I always have to have it. If there's no ice in the house, I actually get upset about it. Is that <laughs> is that? Am I going through kind of a, a dopamine thing? Like an there? ice addiction? Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so one of the things that, and there's some controversy in the field about this right now, and I think we're really trying to sort this out. So I think this should be an open conversation. And the okay. only reason that I think the conversation is important is because as a psychologist or as a person that is working with someone to really try to get to the bottom of why they're doing things, we kind of need to understand why it's happening so that we can intervene appropriately. So, um, you know, it could be that this ice really does give you, um, you know, for maybe it's a trigger, um, you know, uh, it creates um, the context that creates a happy feeling for you. And it Mm -hmm. does, you know, um, nick those dopamine receptors. Um, But really, part of what I I'm learning and I'm reading and I'm understanding just from years of training is um, we, the, the substance to create an addiction really needs to have that pull okay. on. The body. It needs to be made up of a component that actually overwhelms the system so that a tolerance would then be built up. Okay. So to become addicted to ice, I I'm not convinced, but possibly what you're doing is you're creating contentment. You're grounding yourself by chewing on that ice. Um, I am. And yeah, and that's helping you regulate those serotonin levels or bringing down those stress hormones. And so it's those other chemicals that might be at play there. Okay. And as long as it's not damaging, right? I mean, it could be for your teeth, everything in moderation, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, but, but as long as it's not damaging, then I would say, you know, then maybe that's not a behavior you would want to to intervene and try to change. And that's, that's tricky for every person, right? Yeah. So what would you consider the foods that would be high risk then? Because you were saying there are other certain foods and I'm curious as to what the, I'm new to this. So I'm loving, I'm loving every second of this. I love learning. So the way that this really didn't seem to be an issue until foods were modified for convenience decades ago at this point, late 70s, early 80s. And um, at that point, what we were eating began to change. It was heavily processed for convenience or it was really packed with sugar. Um, You know, I think it's safe to say that, you know, the fact that everything, many things, you know, no black and white thinking here, many things that are on the shelves um, in the grocery stores are, are they have additional added sugars. Mm -hmm. For what reason? Well, the only reason it, it packs, um, you know, in terms of, um, um, you know, I guess I support just the um, fake nutritional value. It helps draw people in because it is very rewarding. Yes. Um, and so when, when we have, you know, grocery store shelves full of food um, that is packed with additional elements, different chemicals, even sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's safe to say that that's been done for a reason. Um, maybe that's a little cynical of me, but, um, I think there are some people out there that would agree with me and, uh, you know, and so I think that's, what's happening is, you know, we have, we have access to what we have access to. We don't know better. 
this has sort of been done around us. And now um, we eat these things and eat them yeah. regularly have for decades. And so it's almost like we ha- now we have to educate ourselves. Sugar, processed food, those are the big the big ones that I think people have to really, and now I'm not talking about all sugars. Um, and this is, uh, this is about getting that new, um, uh, nutrition training. Yes. So refined sugar. This is not honey or agave nectar or maple syrup. Those, you know, those types of things, monk fruit, you know, tends to be anything stevia based tends to be an exception. It's plant-based. Yes. All of the other refined sugars, white sugar. Um, those are the ones that are going to be more addictive. Yeah. Now, along the same lines, um, I think it's important, you know, for the people listening to understand, you know, okay, so if it's not addictive, why might someone have an obsession over food then? Okay. It hasn't reached the level of addiction, um, but it is an obsession, something you just can't stop yourself from thinking about a fixation of some kind. Okay. So it's possible that if you've learned through, you know, your development that you are bad, or you are mm. unserving in some way, um, you may then choose to sort of obsessively restrict food. You have not learned to find value in yourself. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's possible that if when you were younger or even through your adulthood, you've had scarcity of food that you might um, restrict food um, or I'm sorry, hoard food for that reason, you might overeat. Um, if you have a medical condition, um, and I actually relate to this in some way who, uh, where it causes you some discomfort mm-hmm. or, you know, in my case, it was pain, you know, so I became very interested in nutrition because of that. Fortunately, because of my training, it never became an obsession or a fixation thing. That's good though. But, you know, I've had, you have to keep yourself in check there. You have to pay attention yeah. to your behavior patterns. Everyone does. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have diabetes or something like that, you know, yeah. you, you can get very obsessed over food in a way that becomes sort of disorderly or dysfunctional. Yeah. You know, there are the latest diet trends. Um, none of those work, uh, but um, there are those things, you know, they have to keep reinventing themselves in terms of diets because eventually your body compensates for the damage that was done. Okay. Gaining your weight back. So, but if you are um, um, into the latest diet trend, then potentially you're very obsessed with that. And that can lead to disorderly or, or emotional eating patterns. Okay. Um, and then, you know, children too, that lastly, that have been over monitored, you know, always have to have a happy. I was getting ready to ask about, you know, dessert, you don't get dessert unless you eat your dinner. Right. Cause, <laughs> cause that's the treat. Right. So I kind of think our, you know, and I was the person that hoarded food. Um, I was in a group home from 14 on. And if you didn't eat fast, you didn't get seconds. And so when I got out of the group homes, I, for years, I would shovel the food real fast. Yeah. And people are like, you eat. So I'm a, and so I had to learn how to slow down and I would hoard food. I didn't need, mm-hmm. that I would never, ever eat just because mm-hmm. it felt, it, did, it made me feel comfortable that it was in there for some reason. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. So Patterns of the way that that we have been raised around food uh-huh. definitely affect our patterns in adulthood for all kinds of reasons. And so, you know, this is about um, recognizing that our experiences and the way that our bodies work, our behavior, our thoughts, and our feelings being associated with a neurochemical. So, 
mm-hmm. not blaming ourselves for these behavior patterns that we get into, but just simply learning about them and recognizing them so that you can do something about it. Right. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's a, it's a learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. I have found with, uh, really with any problem or any addiction, the first step usually seems to be awareness of what's going on with you at that time. Yeah. And do you find that uh, within that field also? I know in in alcoholism, it runs rampant. Absolutely. Um, Again, there are different theories in psychotherapy about how much you need to go into the whys. Um, I naturally am a why person. My poor mother- If you asked her, she would say, gosh, she's always about the whys. Um, But I believe the reason that I've been able to help problem solve struggles for so many people in so many different ways is because I am asking those questions. Okay. I really think awareness of the reasons you don't have to, um, um, you don't have to hyper fixate on that. You don't have to, you know, you know, um, over discuss it. I call them the particulars. I, yeah, yeah I, really, I stay away from the particulars is what I do. Mm-hmm. So once you know it, though, I like yeah. to get, I like to get very on board with, OK, here's our reason. Let's discover um, something that we can do or try um, to see if we can um, rework that behavior pattern. And um, what are some of the do's and why's once a person says, OK, yeah, I recognize I'm recognizing this pattern now. And I see what's going on. You are correct. What would be kind of the next steps for a person in that situation? Sure. Well, when when it comes to emotional eating, one of the major things sort of regardless, regardless of the reason, the reason being involved is, you know, why are the emotions present? Mm -hmm. Um, Listen to that. So a lot of times when people are getting into struggles with all kinds of things, but emotional eating disorder, disorderly eating too. Really the, the struggle is I have this big emotion. Okay. Um, and I want to make it go away. And mm-hmm. my, my theory is, and it's supported in the research is those emotions are actually there as signs and signals of something you need to be listening to. Yes. So utilizing those whatever it is, disappointment, um, sadness, hopelessness, um, anxiety, um, anything that pops up, if you don't like it, listen. Yeah. Um, and then we can take sort of, okay, here's the context of your history. Um, in addition to what's popping up now, how does that relate to the context of what isn't working for you in the mm-hmm. present? Yeah. Possibly those things relate, possibly they don't, but you know, guaranteed eventually history is going to pop back up. But I just teach people to, once we're aware, to embrace it, befriend. This is sort of where the acceptance and commitment therapy comes in. This is a really um, big component of that is, is acceptance and befriending of the things that are present so that you can learn something from them. Mm-hmm. So it instead of utilizing food then to cope with that big emotion, Um, you know, what would you then do instead? Initially, I like to teach some grounding techniques. So really getting in um, with with the deep breathing so that you're really embracing and you're settling into that emotion, just carrying it with you. Um, And then utilizing mindfulness practice to keep yourself grounded. What can you see, hear, taste, touch? Mm -hmm. And And so when you're there, things don't feel so bad. 
you feel like you can carry this emotion with you and then mm. you can extract some lessons. So if it's disappointment, yeah. instead of saying, okay, I'm going to have my, my favorite food or just the food that's around and I'm going to try to drown out that disappointment, you know, what can you, what can you take from that situation, that disappointing situation? And what can you do mm-hmm. you know, to take the next best step to change it? Um, you know, so finding some empowering outcome from those emotions. So, uh, learning to bring in the emotions and handle them differently instead of having to run, escape, avoid. And, and that makes sense. Uh, that makes perfect sense to me because I just used utilized alcohol myself. Um, but I can understand that drowning my emotions out and having to take um, a different a different way. So I would I, I deal with a lot of delayed gratification. Yes, I feel this way right now. Let me give it 10 minutes. It'll probably change. And then in the meantime, I'm gonna go do something else. Mm-hmm. Usually I'll get online and help somebody. Usually I, I like to do some kind of action mm-hmm. so that my brain knows we're we're doing something about this. And it seems to calm down when I do that. It does. I'm kind of, I'm glad you brought this up. So I've kind of organized my thoughts because I have so many of them (laughs) (laughs) for the the sake of the podcast. I've kind of organized my thoughts into emotions. What can you do about the emotions? What can you do about the thoughts and what can you do with behavior? Yeah. And I'm glad that you've actually brought up a behavioral component, but it relates here Mm -hmm. that sometimes people want to I call it opposite action. They want to kind of, and potentially it can be a distraction, but it can be a useful coping skill too. Um, I encourage the people that I work with to do both. So don't do one or the other in, in, in single fashion, mm-hmm. um, but do both. So it can almost be an additional avoidance practice if you jump right to opposite action yeah. or or, um, or just action in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so first I like to say, sit with it. Yeah. Make sure you know what this feeling is. Make sure you really dive into it. I don't be scared of that. That's part of the learning process. And then once you feel like, you know, um, then take an action, of course, cause you want to nurture yourself and take care of yourself too. Um, but do both. And that's, uh, I'm actually writing all this down because I want to know it. Um, and I like that extra step uh, before of stopping for a little bit, you know, because for me, I've been in therapy for so long that my awareness, you know, I wake up in the morning, I already know what's going on with me. I'm just trained to do that. Yes. Yeah. But I think the, even, even though I go through that and that's great, that's good. That's a good sign. But even taking those two extra seconds or whatever can really change what I'm going to what I'm going to do with my action. I may I'm probably going to have a better attitude with that action if I if I take a little bit of time beforehand. Yes, you. I mean, you segue into thoughts really perfectly here. Not only do you have um, a better attitude which puts you in a place of being able to change the thoughts that might lead to a problematic behavior, those mm-hmm. negative thoughts or those irrational thoughts. Um, you know, but in addition, you know, you put yourself into really, really knowing what was that emotion trying to tell you and what action actually fits. Yeah. So when you have sadness, 
it doesn't make sense to, to use food um, because you're really not getting at the core of the sadness, right? So you really, I mean, that action doesn't, it doesn't fit or fix anything. Um, you know, really you want to sort out, well, you know, where does that come from? Is that a perception I'm having? Is that a toxic relationship? Is it something I need to change in my work? Is it grieving and loss? And I simply just need to move into a place right. of acceptance and patience with that. Yeah. Um, you know, and so then maybe you would choose something that builds up the serotonin a little, like something enriching, right? Yeah. But you need to, to know and take the action that is appropriate for the feeling. And the only way you know that is to listen to and what to your ask, body and mind yeah. are trying to tell you. And ask it. Yes. I ask myself questions. And what I do, the, and I'll, I'll tell you what I do. So when I do that part, I'm like, okay, I'm going through this, but I check my tummy. Okay, would this help? No. Would this help? Yeah. We're going and playing some drums for a little bit of help. Yeah, that sounds nice. Mm -hmm. And so I ask myself those questions. And yes, I feel two years old, but it works very, very well. Because then I'm listening to myself. And I'm getting what I need from That's me and not relying on other people to provide me with prestige and love and happiness. Because outside of alcohol or, and everything else, we utilize people. And uh, when yeah. we've got to learn how to get that love inside where it starts from the inside. That's right. Um, you know, so um, along those same lines, um, one of the things that I think behaviorally stops people from being able to have success in eliminating disorderly eating patterns or poor behavior patterns otherwise, okay. is never being able to discover the inner value that they have. So you're talking about really looking toward other people. You've learned not to do this, but people do this. Yeah. You look toward other people for that validation for that value, you know, it's other people's judgment is what sure. makes me feel good. Um, and then you're really reactive to poor judgment. Yeah. When you get into a pattern of finding your value in external sources, you're always going to set yourself up for a miserable life for yes, you are. patterns. And so I really love to work with my people um, to encourage them. And I go through a series of exercises, but and to encourage them to find their character value, mm -hmm. uh, to find the domains in life that they highly value and take action steps within the, within those. And then once you have that sense of inner value and control, that helps your self-esteem and you're in charge of it. That helps your confidence and you're the leader there. Yep. And other people's perceptions of you and other people's thoughts and judgments and their even their validation it's nice but you don't really need it any no. longer mm -hmm. and, so, and so when they disappoint you because right. their values are different and they're, they're human yeah they're going to judge things differently than you would and that's yeah. fine but when they do that to you uh you're not going to respond with poor behavior patterns because yeah. you have the inner stability you need yeah well, uh, here's a great example. I had a sponsee called me this week and say, I've decided AA is not for me. I'm going to move on. And, um, and I told him, if that's what you feel you need to do, I'm going to support you in it. I'm going to support you. I had a personal, different personal opinion, which I kept to myself because it doesn't belong there. And I told him, if I'm a forever person, 
So if you ever need to talk or anything, give me a call. Now, if I would have taken that personally, I wouldn't have been able to offer any more help. Mm-hmm. That's because right. Because I would have been selfish about, oh, well, they're dropping me because, is it about me? He wasn't dropping me because of me. He just had a different journey, a priority yeah. of different values at that time. And I think we have to embrace that in each other and Absolutely. not see that as a personal attack. That's yeah. right. I love it when people work with me and move on. It means mm-hmm. I did my job. Mm-hmm. It means I did good work. You know, so I never, I, I encourage it. And I think mm-hmm. I confuse people with that. But, um, yeah. you know, but it's, I want them to go out and find their own life. Yep, that's right. Having compassion for other people's journey and experience and letting people have freedom to figure that out is, is one of the most healing things. Um, you know, I, I recently said something on a Facebook post even about how I see myself as just one person, uh, yes. a seed in someone's life. And then there are people like us who continue to plant those seeds. And I just have to trust that the person who really wants to grow will find those people in those circumstances or they'll magnet and they'll find each other. And, you know, over the course of time, people get lifted up by the growth process, but yeah. I don't have to be responsible for, for that. And in the re in the people listening here, if you are encouraging people in your life, you don't have to be responsible for all of their growth. No. One of the things that I was going to mention today is um, setting those boundaries and making okay. sure that have really healthy boundaries. Let's talk about that. You know, that's an important component of, you know, making sure that you don't find yourself um, in, you know, really difficult behavioral um, patterns, you know, so along the same lines, if, if you really, you call it in sort of an enmeshed relationship or you're over-invested in someone else's journey, that can really affect the health of your journey. Absolutely. Um, And so setting those boundaries and saying, I am just one part you know, I have faith that other people will take the lead where they will, that this person will find that what they need, and, but I can, I can, and you're talking internal boundaries on yourself. That's what I'm hearing you say. And it, and, and this is probably a good time to bring this up because alcoholism is abstinence, right? So in my brain, I can't have alcohol at all. There is no in between, but you need food to survive. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of goes with this boundary. Am I wrong? Am I on the right track with that? That's right. Okay. Yep. You can't just stay away from it. You can't Uh eliminate it. You have to eliminate the patterns that aren't working for you. Okay. Um, And and so that is a, yeah, a a very big difference between alcoholism and, you know, food addiction or disorderly eating Mm -hmm. Um, you it's going to be not quite as straightforward. Yeah. Right. I have a lot of respect for people in OA, a lot of respect, because I don't know how they do it as an alcoholic. I, I just can't understand it literally. So, <laughs> well, you know, it really starts with, like, like you're saying, education and awareness of what your body needs. I didn't, okay. I didn't plan to talk about sort of um, this part of it today, but you know, there's something called attuned eating. There's learning about nutrition, learning what your body needs. And okay. staying within the realm of, of that, generally, okay. you know, you, you don't restrict, there's no bad or good foods. You simply know what is, you know, healthy or you know what your body needs okay. and you give your body what it needs and you give your body some of what it wants too. And you do that in some moderation or balance that is different 
Mm-hmm. The facts aren't different, I suppose, for every person, but the way they go about finding that balance is different for every person. And so okay. that would make sense. I would think it would need to be. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go ahead. No, that's okay. I was just saying sometimes that requires some help. But yeah. Well, and yeah, at, with that and a, and a nice balance and and there again is it's uh, the more, you know, I'm an 80s kid. So the more, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we're all about education and learning more about ourselves. Um, and I think that's, you know, I think and it isn't just OA, it's any A. You have a personal journey. My journey is not the same as anybody as everybody else's it's a little different. Mm -hmm. So when I tell my story or somebody else tells their story, somebody's going to get something different, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's how, that's how we're able to bond together. Um, And I think, you know, like Gary and I, we bonded because we've both been through an addiction together. We Mm -hmm. know what that's like. We both understand the loneliness that goes with addiction. Mm -hmm. And that's where Everybody can help everybody. That's what I love about recovery. Loneliness is a major component of um, disorder leading to overeating. Okay. Um, you know, anytime you get into a pattern where you, where you know intellectually this isn't right mm-hmm. or yeah. this isn't working for me, if we take out the judgment there, um, it's, uh, you know, you feel like I'm the only one. Yes. You know? but, gosh. Um, mm-hmm you're not the only one here, right? There's everyone's struggling um, in some way. And with food, this is a popular struggle. I mean, oh, yeah. I'd say most people are struggling here in one way or another. And the more that the more I think about, you know, I think about all the people I've ever known and the different levels that of food trouble that they've had. Um, I dated a, a girl who, who had an, um, she, I've she liked to do the anorexic mm-hmm. um and she would go and at that time I knew about AA and stuff too I was in I was in AA at the time um but we got along really well just because of that component that we both understood even though there were two different addictions um we where we were still able to have some some really neat conversations and being able to be empathetic towards somebody. Um, and that's that's where I don't like with people being closed-minded. If you come to my AA meeting and you want help, I don't care what the addiction is. There's some people in AA that don't like that. Yeah. Um, I'm very open because I want to help anybody that comes across my path because it's it's about muscle memory. Everything I do is about muscle memory. I'm just retraining my brain to do something else. And quite literally, the muscle memory, I mean, it's it's down to the level of the neuron. So, you know, the synaptic connection there, you know, the more you practice something, the more, you know, myelin sheath develops that fatty tissue. It makes it stronger and more likely to fire the next time. Yep. Um, and so the muscle memory, I like to point that out to people because it's tangible You know, sometimes you think about trying to develop new behavioral patterns, you're like, oh, random, you know, that doesn't really matter. But yes, it does. It matters down to the most basic level of how we function. You are literally retraining those connections in the brain, and it does get easier over time when you stick with it. That's right. Well, and it becomes 
natural. That's right. Yeah. Because those, those, it fires smoothly. Yeah. Like it should. And there's no interference. There's nothing jumping in there. Um, A good example of that. I love to do examples. If you haven't noticed by now, Um, every morning I get up before I will start praying before I even want to start praying because it's just natural for me to wake up in the morning and start praying right Mm -hmm. away. And that's muscle memory. Yeah. That's for me doing that every single day. Um, I'm very aware of what's going on with me because I've practiced that for years by -hmm. going to therapy every single week and repeating things over and over, even though it drove me crazy. Yeah. Um, But it worked. It worked. Yeah, it does work. And everyone can do this. I work with some people who feel like, oh my gosh, it's, it's too much. It's too big. It's important to take little baby steps in really clear areas um, you know, over the course of time, you know, and maybe, you know, you need some help to do that, but, um, it's, it's important, uh, you know, to continue to tell yourself with baby steps, I can do it. Yeah. Well, and and I like the baby steps for everybody because we don't need to rush when, even in the beginning, I know people feel the need to rush. Um, and that's because they want to go back and apologize and have better life and, but that's not going to happen right away. It's going to take some time. So I always implore people, please give yourself a chance. 30 days is not long enough. Okay. That's a good start. <laughs> and I know for us, like an alcoholic, 30 days or, or even in OA, 30 days is a long time, but not to normal people well, and not in the actuality of the world. This is where uh, it's a little bit different with with disorderly eating in that um, I really encourage people that's so that's sort of an abstinence, you know, I have to have so many days in that and that and I get that why that's there. Got it. You learn different, um, you know, achievement levels over time, you you, Mm. you get those but um, with this it has to be more of kind of a growth mindset because Mm -hmm. we are engaging with food every day, you know, we are going to allow all kinds of food you know, many things can be triggered. We learn, we have to learn how to deal with that when it pops up. That's not a failure. It's an opportunity for growth. And so it's going to be a time where I would encourage someone to be fully abstinent from anything. Restrictive mindset in this case, we would say leads to, you know, binging or disorderly patterns. And so it's finding a way again with education, um, you know, nutrition. um, Yeah education and attuned eating and all of these different behavioral management skills and mindsets over time, you learn how to balance everything so that it's like, well, I've made it 30 days then without a binge, you know, yes. or I've made it 30 days without harming my body or okay. I've made it 30 days without self-punishing, Yeah, talking to myself in a way that's really damaging, mm-hmm. right? So, I don't necessarily do that with people, but it would be more along those lines. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, man, there's so much and there's so much to discuss on this. Um, but, um, you know, we're, we're coming up on time. Is there any, is there anything um, that you'd like to kind of wrap up with? Yeah. So, I mean, a couple additional points, if I could, Absolutely. Um, I, the people who are reading, I just, I want you to be aware that whatever pattern you're going through, you know, uh, it starts with just 
sitting with it, um, think of it kind of like a puddle. Um, you know, you have this option, it's raining, maybe torrential rains, let's imagine, and there's a, there's a divot in the sidewalk and, um, you know, maybe a flash flood. And in, in, in the beginning, that feels like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, it's a small puddle, but I think, you know, a lot of water's coming, you know, mm -hmm. should I cross the puddle? Should I, should I utilize my mind and my mindset to think through this in a way that is, you know, appropriate and helpful? Or will I let the fear stop me? Well, what happens is the puddle grows, the emotions get bigger, yep. the water becomes insurmountable to pass. It seems, it, you know, you almost would have to have help at that point. And then you can no longer cross. You can't get to the light um, at the end of yeah. the, like the sunshine or the rainbow down the street because you're so stuck with fear, you know, yep. just cross it in the beginning. So carry those feelings with you, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and have a growth mindset that, that when you find yourself um, in a situation where you, you feel like, oh, well, I didn't do that exactly how I might've wanted. Well, perfection's not a thing. You're never going to get there. Let Absolutely. It Thank you. Right. So just <laughs> see this as a, an opportunity to extract a lesson from what didn't quite work in that moment and just move on. Don't shame yourself or punish yeah. yourself. Well, and do you think, do you, and cause this, this is what I do. If I do something right, I, I congratulate myself for not congratulate myself, but I give myself my own kudos. Yeah. I'll pat myself on the back. Go, good job. And that's what I did just real quick, you know, but you got to do that for yourself. That is self-love. And, and even when you make what you think is a mistake, even when you don't do things, thank you. pat yourself on the back for taking a minute to be kind to yourself, to have some self-compassion and to extract a lesson from that situation mm -hmm. and still pat yourself on the back for that. Yeah. Because you can learn from that. You can learn from that. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. Melissa, I've really, really enjoyed this conversation. I, I've had a lot of, a lot of fun. Um, and I think it would be very pertinent to, to maybe have you back on in a, in a few months or so when you, when you have some more time, um, because there's, there's still a lot more to discuss. I think we, I think we hit the tip of the iceberg. That was, that was about it, but I have a much better understanding myself, which I very much appreciate. Well, I'm so glad. Thank you for the opportunity to come on. And I hope this is helpful to some of your listeners. Absolutely. Um, and of course, anybody in my audience, if you want to be able to reach out to uh, Dr. Jenkins, I will be, um, is it appropriate for, for me to put your contact information for contacts? Yeah, absolutely. I have, um, you know, my Facebook page is a good place to, to reach me. And I also have okay. a um, eliminate emotional eating Facebook group where I would like to continue this conversation with anyone who who would feel that was helpful. Okay, I'm going to I will if you can't give me an invite to that group. Um, and then I will make sure uh, that it's in uh, the links in the podcast. Okay, sounds so good. that way. Um, so whoever's listening, the links are in the podcast. Um, so just go ahead and click on the link and, and join. And you can be a part of of uh, Melissa's discussion. Um, and your opinion is valuable. Everybody's opinion is valuable. Okay. And I, I, there are no silly questions, just stupid answers. Absolutely not. And honestly, I learn from every single yeah. story that I hear. I learn from that. So mm -hmm. I need everyone to share with me what they're struggling with so that I can get even better at what I do. That's it. Yeah. We're, we're literally all helping each other. 
That's and right. That, and that's why it always worked. All right. I'm going to, we're going to go out here there. So Melissa has a, uh, she has a, uh, a picture behind her with uh, Wonder Woman and it says, stay strong. And that's what I'd like to leave with today. We've talked a lot about emotions and awareness. We touched on boundaries. Um, we had a lot of great discussion here about things that you can do to delay your gratification. If you have more questions or if you need to know more, reach out to me or Melissa. We're happy to do what we can to help you out. All right, that's going to be it for today's show. My name is Dion, and I've been your host for Raw Recovery. Thank you, everybody, for being here. I love you. Peace out, and have a day.